Okay, our second scripture for today comes from the Gospel of Matthew. If you haven't realized it by now, today is that wonderful church holiday known as Trinity Sunday. And that's why you're getting these nice, short passages today, which should be a warning to preachers and theologians everywhere when we talk about the Trinity. But sometimes we get overly loquacious. So from the the gospel according to Matthew chapter 28. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of our Lord. So when I came in, I found these wonderful flyers out in your narthex. And then I came in and started looking at them. And some of them I vaguely remember from an insert in the book of Confessions. Some of them I hardly remember at all. But if you were to come up here and look at these, or if you look at this, you're going to find there is a blue triangle in here. And that is a representation of the Trinity. And there are other passage, there are other banners here which include that. And did some of the banners disappear? Okay. That's fine. You can look at this too. So the Trinity is our effort to talk about God in a consistent way to make sense of what we know about God. And I'm going to say, ask you, what do you know about God? Have you ever wondered, and how would you describe God to someone else? Now, before you get tied up in knots with that, remember, keep it brief. We talk of God, and yet when pressed, most of us resort to analogies. And people of different places and times have worshipped the sun. They've worshipped rivers and ocean gods. They've worshipped forest gods. They've worshipped different things, not for bad reasons, because that's what they saw, that's what they understood, and that's how they made sense of the divine, of that call to worship. But that's piecemeal. That's just the way we do it. Now, others like the Greeks and the Romans and even the Norse have an entire pantheon of gods, some of whom get along uh, not so well. Others get along only because they're in a hierarchy and they are forced into place by the top god. Of the major religions of the world, there are two. Hinduism and Buddhism, which really are more philosophies than they are directed towards any particular god. They have leaders, but they don't really focus on any one god. In fact, you might find several gods 
according to the different traditions in each. But when we turn to the three major monotheistic religions, uh, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, we all subscribe to the one God. But we do it in different ways. And we don't always get along how we do that. But on close inspection, we actually share a lot more in common with one another than we realize. But Christianity throws a little bit of a kink into our relations because we insist on talking about God as a trinity, a triune God. Now, I know some traditions don't talk much about the trinity. They don't even have Trinitarian confessions the way we do. But of the major mainline churches, including the Catholic Church, the Trinity is about as basic as you can get, apart from Jesus and God the Father. Now, there are hints about this idea, this doctrine of the Trinity, in Scripture. But there really is no developed doctrine, no developed concept of the Trinity until you get to Matthew 28. And even that's not developed, it's mentioned. When Jesus tells his, the risen Jesus tells his disciples, his apostles now, to go out into the world and baptize in the one name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I was surprised when I realized they kept names singular, but then they referred to God in three persons. That's significant, but for reasons that might not be apparent. It's significant for his close disciples because while they were products of the Jewish heritage, Jesus sent them into all the nations, into a diversity of people, often with different opinions. Within Judaism itself, there were Pharisees, Sadducees, Essenes, and others who believed slightly different things about this one God, but they were all tied together by their faith in Moses and Abraham. Jesus sent them into all the nations, including Judea, Rome, Asia Minor, Greece, Africa, and by extension to us around the globe today. But I think it is interesting to see this direction to outreach and instruction in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, ask most everybody here where we would all admit we were baptized, assuming we have been baptized, into Jesus Christ. And yet, it's true enough. But we also have been baptized using a Trinitarian formula. That is, we baptize in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. A few years ago, people got confused. Actually, last year, a few people got confused when news came out about a Catholic priest who had baptized thousands of people. And there was a catch in the way he worded that. And a lot of people thought it was he had left something out of the Trinity. No, he just changed one word. Instead of baptizing people, he said, Instead of saying, I baptize you in the name of the Father's Son, he said, we baptize. And his diocese invalidated 
all of those baptisms, leaving people in limbo, wondering where they stood in the eyes of the church. And it wasn't until months later that the Vatican stepped in and declared forbearance. The damage was done, but people began to realize, well, even people in authority make mistakes. And it just goes to show how one little difference can really make a difference in some people's minds. We wouldn't even have noticed that. So scripture includes these references to God's spirit. And there are passages talking about the sons and the children of God. And Jesus responded to a question from his disciples, Philip, Thomas, one of them wanting to know, show us the Father. And Jesus responded by saying, after all this time, how can you ask that question? Don't you know that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? And so what you see is our union. And then we also find other passages where Jesus talks about the Spirit. And of course, that goes back into the Old Testament as well when we get to Genesis 1, which was one of the recommended texts for today, talking about the creation and the Spirit, or the breath of God, was upon creation. As a word of wisdom, but also as John's Gospel picks that same story up, it talks about the divine Logos or the Son, the Word of God, being there in the beginning, and all things were made with and through the divine Logos, who we now know as Jesus, Jesus Christ. So we use this Trinitarian formula for a lot of things. It didn't come about uh, as an idle topic of discussion. The church didn't argue minute points about that for no reason. Most of those reasons we take for granted now. We don't worry about it or think about it. We just accept that somehow this one God is in three persons. But the early church was messy. It wasn't as well organized. It wasn't unified in everything it believed. So one bishop and one section of the world would argue one thing, and another bishop would argue another. And by and large, over time, you had these divisions, which Jesus would have deplored, and Paul certainly did, and the apostles tried to overcome that as best they could. So even though we had the Apostles' Creed in a kind of a rudimentary form, it wasn't until the fourth century that there was a huge council and people came forward to start arguing and debating. I'd like to say it was in a democratic fashion, but it got a little vicious at times, a little bit deep, theological at times. And they began to settle on what this Trinitarian understanding of God was. But the first thing they had to argue about is, who is Jesus for us? So some people said, well, Jesus is just human. Other people said, no, Jesus is divine, and he really didn't suffer on the cross. And ultimately, that was decided by saying, oh, he's both and one. Jesus is fully human and fully divine. So Jesus can participate with us, relate with us, 
And at the same time, Jesus presents to us God as we know him. Then they had had to argue about the Trinity. Now, the question about that had to do with uh, what's known as an economic hierarchy. Basically, is God, is, is the Holy Spirit subordinate to Jesus? And then is Jesus subordinate to, the, to God the Father? And does God basically set policy, the Father set policy for everything? Uh, some people said that would make some sense on a human level. That's the way we organize armies and things like that. But it doesn't necessarily make sense of Scripture especially when Jesus says the Father and I are one. I am in the Father, the Father is in me. So they had to go back and start thinking about this, and after they tied themselves in knots several times over, they came up saying all three persons of the Trinity are equal. There is no hierarchy the way we think of it. So when we talk about the Trinity, they're all acting, all the parts of the Trinity act as one. And so the way it's usually described is we talk about from the Father, through the Son, and in the Holy Spirit. Now, you all still with me? Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Guys, I tried to avoid a Trinity service, and a Trinity sermon, and if I had known this was going to be Trinity Sunday, my first Sunday, I'd might have changed and rolled back my itinerary one day. (laughs) So like I said, this idea of the Trinity really isn't a matter of idle speculation or academic debate. It was answering real questions about the mission of the church and our organization and how we understand and present God as being one with our neighbors and other people. Now, I'm going to ask you all to help me a little bit. This is one of your favorite things, I'm sure. So I'm going to offer a word or a phrase, and I'm going to follow it by and or or, and you supply the next part of it. So if I were to say peanut butter and, oh, you are, dang. I think you all pass elementary and high school, definitely, maybe everything. So if I say hot and, your choice, you're not going to be wrong on this one. Hot and, cold, yeah, there you go. You could probably say something else. Rain or, yeah, and that doesn't mean we don't have snow too, but that's the way it usually goes. If I were to say, in the words of a popular blessing around the table, God is great. You all respond. Oh, golly, you all are good. I don't have to walk back there and correct anybody. This is really good. If I were to say on Easter Sunday, Christ is risen. Oh, dang, this is really good. And if I said, peace be with you. Hmm. And then if I say, in the name of the Father and the Son and... See, you all get it. I didn't have to. Joanne had the whole children. She Everything was in the children's sermon. I don't need to be up here. 
what I like about this is that each one of these combinations indicate a whole. And some people, frankly, wouldn't care for peanut butter without jelly. And a plain jelly sandwich, which might appeal to some, wouldn't be the same thing as a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And like I said, rain or shine, well, that does, that's not exclusive of snow. It anticipates snow as a possibility. And for those of us used to four seasons, well, that's kind of an important thing. The persons of the Trinity, when taken together, indicate something much more than just the sum of the parts. Yeah, those of you who remembered just out psychology will remember that idea. So the Trinity, as best we know it, exists as a relationship, a divine relationship, in the whole, as the whole of every nation, every race. It's talking to us all. But think of the Trinity as involved in a divine dance or prayer with arms interlinked one to another, reaching out to and, and holding each other firm and lovingly and in place. Now we begin that transition to us. What are we to make of this? Well, in Genesis it says God created us in his image. And we are made, male and female, of every race and nation. God made us diverse in God's own wisdom to be in relationships with God and with each other as best we can be. But we don't always do well because, well, we don't. We're human. Our knowledge is partial. Our experience is imperfect. And we don't always know each other well enough to trust each other. And so therein is part of the problem in the world. And yet God wants us to be reconciled so that we can live at peace. Consider also that Jesus came proclaiming the kingdom of God is at hand. This is a much more important understanding than we often take, take for granted. We take it for granted in the church. But the kingdom of God means a lot on many different levels. For those who complain that we still have wars and disease and foolishness, well, sure, we all see that. But Jesus gives us a vision of what is possible in God's kingdom, especially when he names one name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You see, the kingdom is not just a promise, but it is also aspirational. We aren't there yet, and yet the kingdom is all around us, just as God is. It is a vision of what we can and are striving to live towards. And in the triune God, we find creation, salvation, and sanctification all bound up despite our failures and our shortcomings. The Trinity is aspirational in its effort to convey to us what God is like, knowing that God is so much bigger than we are. Only as we take in all these different ideas of God do we begin to grasp a fuller 
understanding of who God is and who God is for and with us. So I also picture God in three persons reaching out, not just to one another, but to us, made in God's own image, calling us into a new life and a new union with God. And this union stretches out in a way that we begin to see and relate to the relationships to our, ourselves to one another in God's name. We begin to see God's loving and wise image seeking to fulfill and bring us into a deeper wholeness. So I'm sure Joanne has offered this as a children's sermon before, but when we see each other differently, we also look for God's image in each other, which binds us even closer than all the things that divide us. This is God's purpose, is to help us to live in the peace of God. And so we go forth as Jesus sends us in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God speaking to all, old and young, male and female, Jew, Gentile, liberal, conservative, rhinos, whatever, and to all races and nations. That doesn't mean that we apologize for our Christian faith, but we can learn to live with and learn from people of other faiths and religions. And even in my own testimony, I have found that people of other traditions have enriched and shaped my own understanding of Christianity. It helps us to see that image of one God calling us to pray and work and rejoice together in this creation of God that is also saved. Thanks be to God in God's fullness and to this notion of a triune God in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And I'll leave it to Jim next year to try to preach on Trinity Sunday. <laughs> Let us pray. O beautiful triune God, help us to pay attention to see you, our creator, in your beauty. We ask this by the power of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. Amen.